Welcome everyone. As you know, we are currently in the book of Luke. Uh, I assume that you would have already read uh, chapter 4 verses 1 through 30, uh, and I hope you have an opportunity to read it one more time after this. I'd like to just highlight um, a few um, insights that I hope are helpful um, in this in this passage um, and, and hopefully gives us a little bit better uh, understanding of uh, at least a couple things that, that I see in this section of scripture. So um, when one of the main things I would like to emphasize in this whole section, um, and I think Luke does this uh, purposefully, is the sonship of Jesus. The sonship of Jesus. Um, we see that there's going to be a comparison, uh, a subtle comparison between Adam, uh, son of God, and Jesus, son of God, and also the nation of Israel as son of God, and, and again, Jesus as son of God. Um, we see that Luke has set this up um, by clearly communicating Jesus as the Son of God a few times in the previous chapters, starting with uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 32. And this is where the um, angel Gabriel is speaking of Jesus. And he says, he will be great and he will be called Son of the Most High. Okay, so Son of the Most High. And then again, we see it in chapter 2, uh, verse 4. 49, and this is where Jesus and his family goes down to Jerusalem uh, for the Feast of Passover, um, and they leave Jesus. They didn't know that he left that they left him there in the city, uh, so they come back and they find him, and Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Okay, and then uh, again in chapter 3, verse 22, where Jesus is baptized, uh, there was a voice that came from heaven. Uh, presumably from God the Father. He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. So there is an emphasis of Jesus being the son of God, and that's clearly communicated here. And I'd like to tie that into this next section here. So um, as I mentioned, I think that there is a, going to be a little bit of a comparison between um, Adam, the son of God. Um, why do I say that? Well, uh, continuing in chapter 3, which we talked about last week that Jared shared with us, there's a genealogy. Now, the end of Jesus's genealogy ends in verse 38, chapter 3, that states, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, who is the son of God. Now that's the last verse before it ties us into the chapter four. So there's, the, in my mind, there's there's a continuation. Okay, and I hope I hope we can all see that. So the son of Adam. So we know that Jesus is going to be tempted. We read that, um, and we also know that Adam himself also endured a type of temptations from the devil. So what did Adam do? He failed in his temptation. What did Jesus do? Well, we know that he succeeded in his temptation. The other thing that I uh, would like to point out is a comparison between the nation of Israel and Jesus. So in in this uh, in the first verses here in chapter four we see that Jesus is full of the Spirit and he is led into the wilderness. Okay, um, that should also be a reminder to us in the same way that the nation of Israel was also. Um, led into the wilderness for a certain number of times. So we see, I'll just point out some comparisons here. Israel was led into the wilderness. Uh, this is Most of this is from Deuteronomy 8. Um, and Jesus was also led into the wilderness. Um, nation of Israel was there for 40 years. Jesus was there for 40 days. Um, the nation of Israel is called the Son of God, according to Exodus 4, 22 and 23. And we just reviewed some passages about Jesus, the Son of God, here in Luke. Israel was uh, tested by God, 
um, in the wilderness, and also, as we see, Jesus has been led uh, into, into the wilderness to also be tempted. Um, and we know Israel to be a uh, nation of um, full of rebellion, you know, specifically, I'll, I'll uh, reference Isaiah 63.10. Um, and Jesus um, was not rebellious. He followed the Spirit and followed the, the Father's leading. So those are going to be two of the main comparisons that, um, that I'd like to point out um, in the emphasis of Jesus as a triumphant son of God. So now just getting right into um, some of the temptations there. Um, there's going to be three temptations. Um, the first and the third temptation, we're going to see that the devil um, is attacking Jesus' sonship. And the middle one doesn't. But the first temptation, um, it's uh, calling into a question God's care and provision for Jesus. So he says um, to Jesus as the devil speaking, If you are the Son of God, um, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. What is the point? He's saying, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, surely God cares about you and he doesn't want you to be without your basic needs. Go ahead and turn this stone into bread so that you can meet your basic needs because God the Father loves you and wants you to be um, full of nourishment. Obviously, we know that Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Um, if anybody has fasted for any length of time, you would know um, at least any uh, some idea that it, it's very difficult to do. It's very hard on the body. So Jesus fasting for 40 days. And I think it's, sorry, uh, something I'd like to point out too. We should just be thankful for how clear scripture is. Um, we see in verse 2, it says, For 40 days being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The Bible's super clear, and I think it's really important for us to be reminded of Jesus's humanity. He had hunger pains, just like we do. Um, his body becomes weak, just like our bodies become weak. So Jesus, uh, having fasted for 40 days, meaning most likely from just food, he probably uh, drank water, um, he was f uh, weak and um, with a failing body. And uh, I think if being in that position and in that state um, would have been um, the most likely time if he were to ever fail a temptation would have been then. Uh, but this is pointing to, again, um, not only did Jesus being fasted and uh, compare that to Adam who was in the garden where everything was perfect and was not fast. I mean, yeah, wasn't fasting. He, he had plenty of food um, and Adam failed. How much more is this son of God um, going to be successful? And, and I think it's pointing that out slowly but surely. So uh, what is Satan doing again for this first temptation? He's trying to get Jesus to, uh, to be a rebellious son. Uh, he's trying to get Jesus to kind of use his power. If you are the son of God, use your power and, and get the food that, that you need. Surely God wants that for you because he doesn't want you to be without that. Um, and what does Jesus do? He responds, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. I'll read that reference. And it says, um, of the nation of Israel, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. So what's the point? That uh, life is so much more than just food, but in fact, following God is life. So uh, I really appreciate Jesus' response there. Um, if you haven't, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a great chapter to even memorize. 
Um, so the second temptation is going to be a challenge of, of Jesus to switch his allegiance and authority uh, from worshiping God the Father to switching to worshiping uh, the devil. So we see that the devil does have a uh, temporary authority over this world. Um, if you'd like to look this up later, I'll give you some references. John 12, 31, John 14, 31, uh, again, John 16, 11, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and Ephesians 2, 2. So Satan does have a temporary power. He has um, rule and authority. But even though he has this um, uh, power, it's still an empty promise when he takes Jesus up uh, to show him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Maybe this would have been like a type of vision or maybe... Um, he was put in a place where, where he was high enough and he can see some kingdoms. An interesting uh, thing that, that I found out, um, a reference to um, all the worlds, if you go back to chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and it says, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world, so maybe uh, what the devil was pointing out to Jesus was a view of everything that was under Roman uh, rule. Which, why was that important? I, I was thinking about this, and I think that uh, going back to chapter 1, where the um, angel Gabriel was speaking of Jesus, and it says, He's the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Jesus would have known that he was going to um, uh, take rule and establish um, uh, his kingdom, and maybe Jesus, uh, Satan offering this kingdom maybe would have been something that's tempting to Jesus. But clearly the devil was wrong, um, as Jesus did not accept uh, this in exchange for all of this, um, uh, all of this, uh, what's the words that's used here, um, that uh, the devil will give his authority and the glory of these towns and cities. Um, and what's the exchange for if Jesus is just to worship the devil. So what does Jesus say? In response, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13. It is Yahweh your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So uh, that's the command in Deuteronomy to not serve anyone else other than God. So now that uh, the devil has tried to get Jesus twice uh, to fall into a type of temptation, uh, Satan now uses a, a little bit more of a trickier um, tactic, and now he's going to uh, test Jesus again. Remember, he's going to be challenging his uh, sonship, right? He says, if you are the son of God, um, and that's in verse, um, oh, sorry, where is it? Uh, verse 9, and he took Jesus and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. So now he's going to quote a psalm in the Old Testament, which Jesus um, probably would have been familiar with too. So he's saying, uh, he's using some more um, clever scheme here and trying to get Jesus. Since Jesus is quoting scripture, let's use scripture and try to get Jesus to, to stumble. So testing his sonship, uh, questioning his sonship, if you are the son of God, why don't you throw yourself off from here? Now, what's the scripture that he's, that Satan is reading from? It's going to be uh, Psalm uh, 91.11, which says, 
for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And on their hands they will bear you up, at least you strike your foot against the stone. Now, at a first reading, you think, well, yeah, that kind of does sound like it's about Jesus. But if you go back and read the chapter, it's about those who are obedient and, and dwell um, with um, God, that there is going to be a type of protection that, that is provided for them. Um, but Satan trying to use the scripture to twist it so that Jesus um, just abandons his sonship um, and tests God. That's the thing. He's trying to get Jesus to test God. Um, and what does Jesus respond with? Um, he responds with Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, You shall not put Yahweh your God to the test as you tested him in Massa. And that's in reference to Exodus 17 where the nation of Israel, after being freed uh, from uh, Pharaoh and were in wandering in the wilderness, they were thirsty and they were really angry with Moses um, to the point that Moses thought they were going to stone him to death. Um, and, uh, and so in that, they, they were testing God. Um, and so after that point, it became um, a commandment to not test God, which is what Jesus is quoting from. So not to test God. So after this, um, we see here that uh, the devil leaves in defeat and Jesus comes out victorious. Jesus did what um, Adam was unable to do. He, uh, Jesus did what the nation of Israel was unable to do. Excuse me. Uh, Jesus is the triumphant son of God. So now from this section, we'll, we'll leave that. Um, and now uh, Jesus is going to begin his ministry. So we know that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's called the Son of God. He's proven his allegiance to following um, the Spirit's leading and being obedient to the Father. Um, and now begins his ministry as he we, we find him in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And he's back in his hometown in Nazareth. Um, and so just a quick a few points about what a synagogue service looks like. We have some of that information. Um, we can find that in what's called the, the Mishnah, which is the, a written version of the Jewish oral laws and uh, traditions that would have taken place. You can look this up. Um, but there are uh, there would have needed to be at least 10 men present to have a service. Uh, the congregation would have read the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. After that, they would have had some prayer and then uh, followed by a reading from uh, one of the first five books of the Bible from the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, a, a reading from one of those books, um, followed by a reading from one of the prophets, uh, examples like Daniel, right? And then uh, a side note. So it was written in Hebrew, but it would have been translated into Aramaic since that was the predominant language of the area. So after reading those two uh, sections of scripture, there would have been exposition and an explanation uh, combining an idea um, or a point of those two um, sections of scripture. So that's where they think that Jesus would have um, been speaking in this moment. Um, so Jesus stands up and he reads from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 61. Um, but he's also combining most of 61, but also some phrasing from verse 58, 6, which says, let the oppressed go free. And then he comes back to ends it um, in 61 verse 2, uh, which he talks about the year of the Lord. So I'd like to just um, talk about that section real quick. So um, I like to break it up into um, to different parts, a teaching uh, ministry, and, and I can't figure out a better way to phrase this, but like 
uh, Jesus's miraculous ministry. Okay, so verse eighteen: the Spirit of of the Lord is upon me uh, because He had pointed me. Okay, what is He going to do? Here's His teaching ministry. He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now. Um, that's his teaching. Now, what is he going to do in his miraculous? He's going to recover the sight to the blind. He's going to set liberty uh, those who are oppressed. And then again, um, a teaching portion to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So um, an emphasis here is going to be on proclaiming, yes, the teaching, but also an emphasis of the setting free of uh, liberty. Um, and specifically that last verse in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what is that? That is in reference to the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. Now, this is a fantastic thing that, um, G- uh, that God implemented um, for the nation of Israel. Um, and it, it goes something like this. Now, the nation of Israel is supposed to Sabbath every week. We know that. Um, but even more than that, every 50 years they were called to do a full year of Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is when they don't work um, and they uh, gather all the food the day before um, so that they don't do any work on on the day of Sabbath so that they can rest and then trust in God's provision, right? So that they would remember that it is God who brought them out of the nation of Israel, uh, sorry, uh, of the um, Pharaoh, uh, under the oppression of Pharaoh um, and to depend upon God's provision. So, now, they were called to do that every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, and in that 50th year, um, or let's just say between the year 1 and 49, right? Everyone had land. It was, it was a, um, a time where um, you had to grow your food, a very agricultural-based economy. So you, you grew a lot of what you had. So let's say you had land um, and times were hard. You ended up having to sell your portion of land to your brother. Uh, your brother being uh, uh, someone in the nation of Israel. So you sell it to someone um, in the in the nation of Israel. Um, and then let's say things got really bad for you. So then you end up having to sell yourself um, into uh, your brother's like uh, servitude or something like that. So every 50 years, um, God called for a release, a year of Jubilee, this, um, this Sabbath in which if you um, took land, your job was to restore that land from the person that that you bought it from. Um, if you purchased and paid for, um, you, you know, your brother to be your servant um, or your slave, you were called to release him if, if uh, he didn't have money or nobody could buy his, his freedom. Um, you're called to just release him. So that's a big emphasis here. Like, that's crazy if you think about it. Um, so much so that the nation of Israel nation of Israel actually never kept the year of Jubilee. We don't see any proof of this. And in fact, the nation of Israel was um, punished for years that they did not keep the Jubilee. They didn't let the land rest. They didn't um, proclaim this liberty and release um, every 50 years like God wanted them to. So Jesus says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It is upon us. I'm ushering in this new era. So Jesus being filled with the Spirit um, during his baptism, he's a prophet who's declaring this new era. And Jesus is uh, not only uh, proclaiming what he's going to do, but he's going to do it. He's going to heal the blind. He's going to set those who are oppressed. Um, you know, and that word oppressed is, is wide range, spiritually, demonically, uh, religiously. He's going to set them free. Um, and as he does that, we... Um, 
well, let me go back. So uh, Jesus would have known, because he's quoting um, there, for the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and all that section from Isaiah 61. I said that earlier. Um, so that section is understood to be a messianic um, section describing the salvation of the nation of Israel. This is something that the nation of Israel was looking forward to. Um, so also associated with it would have been messianic tones, uh, tones of looking forward to the Messiah that would have ushered in or brought about um, this end time salvation for the nation of Israel. So as Jesus is not only declaring um, what he's going to do, but we also see that he's going to be doing it, that is a powerful combination that I would suggest points to Jesus as uh, the Messiah. So at first they all spoke well of him, um, all those who were in synagogue, um, and they uh, were marveled at his gracious words, um, but then they, there was something off about it because they expected a type of Messiah that didn't come from such humble origins, that wasn't born in a, 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 a manger, right? They expected this powerful uh, Messiah. And so they start questioning, is this not Joseph's son? And this is where I'd like to say, yes, Jesus is Joseph's son, but so much more, he is the son of God. That's, I was looking forward to that this whole time. I just want to say it one more time. Jesus is the Son of God, and not only that, he is the triumphant Son of God and did what uh, the nation of Israel couldn't do and did what uh, Adam could not do. So uh, continuing on, uh, they're obviously um, intrigued by his words, um, and as they question him, uh, it's really interesting because uh, they... Jesus uh, responds to them and, and says that, you know, a prophet is not accepted in his hometown, which we see in the Old Testament. Um, and that continues to be true for Jesus as a prophet in, in, in his hometown of Nazareth, um, that he's not, not being accepted. And he, he wants to point out that his ministry is not just to the nation of Israel, but much more than that by uh, reminding them that in the days of Elijah, another prophet, there was plenty of orf uh, widows, going down to verse 25, um, but that he only went uh, to a widow that was of the Gentiles, outside of the nation of Israel. And he also went to another uh, Naaman, a Syrian. So, so Elijah only went to two people to bring a type of healing to them. Um, and it wasn't to the nation of Israel, but it was for the nation outside of Israel, the Gentiles. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying that um, his salvation and what he brings is... Uh, much more than just to the nation of Israel, but is going to be incorporated outside of that to also include uh, the Gentile nation.